Our text this morning is from 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 13. You'll find this passage on page 986 in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks, Alyssa. You all may be seated. I apologize to anybody at home uh, who did not hear the baptism. We weren't uh, pantomiming. I didn't turn my microphone on, so I apologize for that. Um, I'm sure that we can figure something out there later on if you want to hear the audio. Um, Hey, we all know, uh, we're all familiar with before and after pictures. If you spend any time on the internet or watching infomercials or TV at all, um, we had this, this thing about before and after. They show what was before and they show what was after, and there's something about that we all resonate with. Um, this passage of scripture from 1 Thessalonians is a before and after. It's a before and after. Paul, recounting what he had previously taught the Thessalonians, he's using a, a very serious tone with what, he, with what he's recalling. Um, he is giving them, or he had given them, the command of what the Christian life is, is supposed to be like. In a serious tone, he says, this is the Christian life. There are no ifs, no ands, no buts. This is the Christian walk. That's the before picture. But then we get the after picture, which is great because we have this serious tone in the before, but we have this really encouraging picture in the after. He's grateful to God that the Thessalonians have obeyed. And so we have the before, the serious command. We have uh, in the after the result for which Paul is thanking God. We get an encouraging picture of what that command means. And so... As we look at this before and after today, I really believe, I think every sermon does, more of the scripture than the sermon, uh, there's something for everybody in this. There's something for everybody in this before and after. There are those here uh, who are trying to live the Christian life, and it is hard. I'm thankful that God is the one ordaining worship. Uh, John and I did not talk about his call to worship, and so it's talking about where the lines fall in good places. Some of us feel this morning, that's not how life goes. We're trying so hard to be faithful and it's still hard. There's something encouraging in this sermon for those. And there are some of those here who have simplified the Christian life and maybe they think they're successful at it. There's something here for everybody in this before and after. And so the prayer that I'm about to pray for us and myself is for our attentiveness our willingness to be cut by the word of God, our willingness to be encouraged by the word of God. That's my hope for us this morning. Let me pray and we'll look at the before and after from 1 Thessalonians 2. Father in heaven, we need you. We need you to teach us. We need you to convict us. We need you to tell us who we are. We need you to tell us how much you love us. We need you to tell us how we ought to live. None of these things can we do on our own. And so this morning, as we 
<clears throat> look at your servant Paul's, your apostle Paul's command about the Christian life. May it be convicting. May we take it in the serious tone that it is given. And as we look at the result of the Thessalonian life lived in obedience to that command, may we be encouraged and have clarity as to what it means to be a Christian. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the before is found in verses 11 and 12. And so again, Paul's recounting for the Thessalonians what he had taught when he had visited them previously. He's again speaking in a serious manner. We see the first indicator of his serious tone in verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we'll stop there. Paul is reminding them how he spoke to them in fatherly concern. So there's kind of two aspects to fatherly concern. There is authority for certain. When a father speaks to his children, there is an, an assumption that the children will listen and obey. We all know how that goes, right? Um, but there's also this aspect of love there. Fathers are not meant to be simply authoritarian command givers or, or generals. They're to lead their children in love. And so Paul, as he was teaching the Thessalonians, the thing he's about to talk about, he's doing so in a fatherly aspect. And in verse 12, he continues with three words that really let us know he is serious. So in this, like a father to his children, what does he do? First, he says, we exhorted each one of you we, and encouraged you and charged you. Those three words all communicate seriousness. Exhorted here means to implore someone to respond, not just say, hey, this is serious, listen, but I need you to do something with what I'm about to say. The word encourage, uh, we might see, it may seem a little odd in this context. Encourage means to comfort and sadness. In this context, what it means is, listen, I need you to follow what I'm about to say even when it's hard, even when it's hard, encouraging. And this last word, charged, is the most serious of them all. In the Greek, the word used here is only used in grave matters, and it means to insist. So in a fatherly tone of authority and love, he's exhorting, he's encouraging, he's charging, he's serious. He's serious. So whatever we're about to read next, this is serious stuff. Let's take a look at what Paul is about to be serious about. He says, like a father with his children, we exhorted and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in a manner worthy of God. The beads of sweat are, are starting. I like that. It's good. Okay, listen. Walking. This is language that is used throughout the Old Testament. This is language used throughout the New Testament that has to do with moral teaching. Paul is giving a moral teaching. This is the right thing to do. It's important to understand the words here. Walking here is in the present active. It's ongoing. It's not a destination. And so something about whatever this means to, to walk in a worthy manner is not something to be arrived at. It's something that's ongoing. It continues. It's something that the Thessalonians are urged to always pursue. And so... We are reminded here a little bit of, of Jesus' teachings. The Sermon on the Mount, we, we talked about Sermon on the Mount several months ago, maybe a couple years ago now. And in that sermon, Jesus says something that seems peculiar, and it seems intense. He says this to his disciples, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, well, I fail, see you later, okay? 
I fail, see you later. What is Jesus drawing attention to? He's not saying in order for your salvation to be salvation, in order for you to actually be a Christian, you must have everything in your life perfectly in order. No, what is Jesus doing? He's using hyperbolic, extreme language to draw attention to sanctification, the ongoing pursuit of holiness, lifelong sanctification. He's drawing attention to the fact that these disciples are never going to meet a moment where they don't need him. They will always need Jesus. Why? Because we are never going to be perfect. And so in this moral teaching that Jesus and Paul gave, it's addressing behavior, certainly, living out of God's moral system, but they're both aimed at what? The heart. The heart. It's an ongoing thing. It's a walking. It's a serious matter. We need Jesus. And without Jesus, we have no hope. And so he is very serious about walking in a manner worthy of God. Why should we care about this? The rest of the verse gives this command context. I love this. So walk in a manner worthy of God. He does not end it there. He says, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. One author I was reading this week calls that the royal gospel. God's kingly nature and how it relates to our salvation. So God is the true and living king. And that really means something. And God, the true and living king, what is he doing? Again, calling here is present, active tense. It's ongoing. It's, It's continuing. What does he do? He's calling us. He's authoritatively communicating to us participation. I saved you already. Come and live as one of my people live. That's the invitation. That's the call. God controls who enters the kingdom. God controls who's in his glory. God is calling us into his own kingdom. Walking worthily is not earning our way in. I'm amazed. One of the things I do most Sunday mornings when I get here, I get here early uh, to have some quiet. Uh, I'll read Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies, and it is almost without fail that that the 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 date of that I'm reading has something to do with the sermon that I'm preaching. And so I'm like, maybe I should just read this devotional this morning. Um, He says this: Today is not the destination of our holiness. Today is not the destination of our worthiness. Today is not the destination of our Christian walk. Eternity is. This is is what's being communicated here. We are called to walk in this ongoing, present, active manner as God calls us into his own kingdom and his own glory. A benevolent God bringing us into his glory, bringing us unworthy folks into his splendid honor. And so what is Paul insisting? He's insisting the Thessalonians do something. He's insisting that they live their lives now in the context of King Jesus, who reigns now and forever. Live it now, he's saying. He's insisting. Live in conformity to God's law. There's an authoritative piece here. He's talking out of fatherly concern. There are things that we must do. Live in conformity to, the, conformity to the God that has been revealed, this loving king who invites us in. And so this insistence to live in this context, here's the reality for us. It has not changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> it's no different 
for you and for me. Paul insists, like he does to the Thessalonians, he insists as his, by his call as an apostle that we Colombians here at Grace Presbyterian live completely in the light of our Lord and Savior, our now and future King Jesus. That's the call of our lives. No ifs, ands, or buts. And so the insistence that God's people live their lives as God has laid out in his word is as present active today as it was back then. Present and active. And so we come to the first of two applications, the before application. God's law is his law. There's no way around it. (laughs) No human opinion or preference can overwrite God's law. It just doesn't work that way. He is king. He is king. The gospel insists that we live in the reality of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. It's okay, it's good, in fact, to feel a little sweaty as you think about this, okay? Nervous. In fact, to feel any other way would communicate that you really don't understand the cost of this call into God's kingdom. The call on our life by God the King is life-altering. It alters our life. This, This claim on our lives by God is costly to us. It costs us something. It requires that we give things up, many things. Reading another book this week, and it said, it made this distinction. I think this is fascinating. Jesus is not just the Lord, he's our Lord. That's very personal, it's different. Jesus kind of being this generic Lord might mean we escape the law, or we escape having to change the way we live, but no, Jesus Christ is our Lord. And so at times... We have to do his will no matter what seems naturally good or awesome or great to me or to you. Just to make sure we're clear, allow me to name some areas that this might affect in our lives. And at the end of this list, I want you to take just a moment. We're going to have a moment of silence where I want you to write down an area that I miss that's true about your life. So some areas that this call, this claim in our lives affects, it affects our finances. It affects our parenting. It affects our sexuality. It affects our relationships, our occupation. It affects how we use our time and our talent. It even affects how we rest and how we recreate. It affects how we give and take criticism. It affects everything. What's something that it affects in our lives? If if this is true, that, that God is king, and our lives are to be lived walking worthily, every area of our life, what does it affect in our lives? Paul's fatherly concern hopes that something, at least something a little bit stings right now. He's serious about us following Christ. A good question to ask at this moment, I'll ask it for us, is okay, how can we possibly live this? How can we possibly live this out? How can we possibly align ourselves to God in a way where we can categorize our life as walking worthy? Well, that's why the after in verse 13 is very helpful. It's very encouraging. It's good to feel oppression of the demand of God in our lives because guess what? We do not live up to it. 
But here we have this, this thankfulness of Paul to let us know he is thankful that the Thessalonians have taken his command seriously and are living it out. And so we see this in verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. The Thessalonians heard the seriousness in Paul. They heard his fatherly concern, and, he, and Paul is now joyous that they have taken his instruction to heart. So these two terms that I've already mentioned here really give us a clear picture of what it actually means to walk worthy, okay? So we can erase anything we've thought to this moment and let the scripture fill in the blank. What is walking worthy? The first word we call attention to here is received. Received. When you receive the word of God. This word means to affirm a message as true and from an authoritative source. So, nerd stuff. All right, here we go. Context. If you remember from last week, what was the main religion of Thessalonica? They worshiped Caesar, the king of Rome, as a god. And so it was a common thing in Thessalonica to think about, oh, the word of Caesar has come to us. He sent a messenger with a, with a message from Caesar. Now, when you were to receive that message from Caesar, not only do you have to say that's true, you had to say, I believe this came directly from Caesar. That's the idea here. The Thessalonians heard the message from Paul, God's herald, God's messenger, and they're saying, yes, the message is true, and yes, it came from the one and only true living God. That's what received means. It's an intellectual thing to affirm truth and authority. Again, he continues, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, but as what it really is. Now, this word accepted is different. It seems similar to receive, but it isn't. And it's the difference that really helps us get the full picture. Receive means to affirm the truth and know that it's from Caesar or know that it's from an authoritative source. Accept is, is the personal side. To receive something is an intellectual activity. Yes, Caesar sent the message. Yes, it's from Caesar. Now, whether you do it or not is another story entirely. Caesar may say, pay more taxes. Guess what? You have to choose, even if you know it's from Caesar, whether you're going to do it or not. This word accept is the other side of that. It's to appropriate this message for personal use. So what do the Thessalonians do? First, they receive the word of God as truth, as from God, and now they are actively applying it to their lives. So the Thessalonians, what is Paul thankful for? He's thankful that they affirmed the truth and the authority of the word of God and they were applying it to daily living. That's what he's thankful for. He's thankful for that. But again, just like last week, the Thessalonians escaped credit. This is not to their credit. Look at the last phrase here, which is at work in you believers. So last week, what were the Thessalonians famous for? Repentance. Repentance is... They were, they were known for knowing their need. They weren't known for doing something amazing. They were known for knowing their need. And so the fruit of their lives, as it, was, as it was seen in Macedonia and Acacia, was not a good on them. It was good on God. And here the same thing. This, this receiving, this accepting, is God's word at work in them, which is at work in you believers, the word of God. I love this word, work. It brings us to a knowledge that the word of God is not static, it's dynamic. The word here, the root word, is the same root word of energy. 
And so the word of God as compared to something like the word of a king or Caesar is alive. It compels us. It animates us. It changes us. The word of God changes us. And so as we expose our lives to God's word, we're renewed, we're changed. And so the first thing we can learn that I think is encouraging, it's encouraging to me, is that walking worthy, walking worthy is the, is the work of God's word in our lives. It's God's word working in us. It's not something where we pull up our bootstraps and we get to work. No, as we take in God's word, as we're exposed to God's word, walking worthy is God working in us. This is good news. This is excellent news. It's excellent news for those of you who are thinking right now, I have tried this week to follow Christ and everything has gone bust. It's been a bad week and I've tried. I've tried. It's good news because walking worthy is not about meeting a moral mark. It's not about crossing a certain finish line. Think about the Pharisees for a moment. You may not be familiar. The Pharisees were the main enemies of Jesus. And what was their MO? Their MO was, we have arrived. We know what is holy. We know what is good. We are following the rules. And we want you all to follow us. They had set a standard for themselves. They had met it. And now they're calling others to be like me. And so walking worthy to the the first century Jew was, I got to be a Pharisee, but I don't know how to do that. Discouraging. Jesus and his scriptures destroy that concept of Christianity. It's destroyed. Mature Christians have not reached a moral high ground. That's not what the Bible teaches. Mature Christians are in this ongoing walk by the power of the word of God in them. And so when we come to a definition of walking worthy, here's what it is. Walking worthy is following Jesus, not leading others. Walking worthy is following Jesus, not leading others. Do you see the difference? Leading others is saying, I've arrived, now you follow me. Following Jesus is saying, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. And so this is encouraging because walking worthy is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in God's people. We can't avoid it. It's a process. Let's get practical. What does the process of walking worthy look like? First, It starts with us relating to God in word and prayer. We relate to God in word and prayer. If we bring God into our day-to-day, we're exposed to his word, and, and by the power of the Spirit, we're being changed by his word. And then we relate to others out of that change. That's what walking worthy looks like. It's an ongoing process. It's not a destination. And so as we're encouraged to follow Christ, what are some things we can be doing as Colombians here at Grace Presbyterian Church? What are some things that we can do that are maybe simple as we follow Christ? Well, first, one of the reasons we offer and encourage life groups is because it's an opportunity to walk with others under the banner of the word of God. What happens in life group? It's not a Bible study. 
you're together with other believers. And what happens in that, that time with other, other believers, you get to be cared for by other believers who are being changed by Jesus Christ. And as you're changed by Jesus Christ, you get to care for other believers. On the walk, you get to walk together. That's what life group is. Another thing that we can be doing is we try to offer several methods, several tools to get all of us in the word. The word is essential to the walk. And so there's all kinds of methods. You could do a Bible study. You can do a cohort with your friends. You can do any, really any kind of method. The, the key here is this. We need to be in the word. We need to be in the word of God. Method is secondary to, to actually uh, what we do with God's word. And how do we know what to do with it if we don't know what's in it? And as we are exposed to God's word, we have an opportunity to receive what I read as true and authoritative. My opinions get smashed. My opinions and my preferences get smashed. And then what? I, by the power of the Spirit, accept it as a personal guide for every aspect of my life. What are we describing here? This is the process of lifelong, ongoing repentance. Repentance. Walking worthy is following Christ, not leading others. And so we come to a moment where we actually get to walk at church, like some kind of strange illustration. We get to walk forward and take up a piece of bread, walk forward and take up a cup of either wine or juice, we get to walk forward. It's like we're following Christ to his cross. That's what we're going to do. This is, the, this, is the, this is the image of repentance. We come to Jesus. Why? Not because, oh, look at me. Great is me. No, it's we come because we need it. We need it. I need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so this morning, this is a great moment to begin self-denial Every single one of us has an alarming amount of personal brokenness. Some of us just ignore it better than others. We have an alarming amount of personal brokenness, and Jesus loves us anyway. He died for it. And so stepping into the aisle and eating the supper, it's an act of following. It's not an act of succeeding. It's admitting our failure and realigning ourselves to the life of Christ. And guess what? Tomorrow, we have a chance to do it again, not the Lord's Supper, but to step out and follow Christ. We have a chance next week together to come out and follow Jesus. This is the life of the Christian. No ifs, ands, or buts. Follow Jesus. Come to Jesus. So we have in front of us an image of the cost that Jesus gave for us. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself that we might be full of the power of his word and the spirit. Do you see that? So it's not an option to be full of it. Jesus did something for it to be true. Jesus was fully and physically and spiritually broken so that we might be put together. Jesus, the now and future king and eternal son of God, humbled himself that we might be brought into his kingdom and his glory. And so this morning, as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're not simply having a snack. 
you're recognizing what Jesus has done as your, my Lord and Savior. So this morning, if you believe that to be true, I'm a sinner. You believe you're a sinner. You believe that there is more to be dug out of your heart, that you believe that only Jesus can deliver you from that sin. You've made that profession, like Anna this morning, what a blessing. She's been baptized. You're invited, Anna. You're invited, church, to come and eat, and you are welcomed as a friend, even though at one time we were enemies. As a son and a daughter, even though at one time we were orphans. And so this morning, if you believe those things to be true, come without hesitation and follow Christ to his cross. If you're here this morning and you don't believe these things to be true, any part of it really, whether you don't believe Jesus to be the Savior or the King, whether you don't believe the Bible to be the authoritative and true Word of God, whether you believe that you don't really need to apply it to every area of your life, these are all reasons that the Bible gives for you to abstain from eating. It says don't eat. It's not wise. It's not good. And so we would echo that same thing. We're not trying to exclude you. The Bible says it doesn't make sense for you to eat. And so this morning, if that is what is true for you, that you do not believe these things to be true, uh, I would love to talk to you. Don't just leave it at, well, they didn't let me have a piece of bread. Well, listen, I want to talk to you. I'd love to, any of our elders would love to speak with you and talk about how that might change. And so this morning, we're going to take just a moment. We're going to pray silently to put ourselves in the mindset of following Christ and we're going to then uh, be brought back together by a prayer of blessing and we'll distribute the Lord's Supper uh, together. Take a few moments. Father in heaven, I, I admit that I'm a bad follower. I'm a bad follower. And so, Father, I come to you in my brokenness this morning, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to bless this bread and this wine or juice to my soul, Bless it to my soul. May it be the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be the word of God at work in me and us. May from this moment forward, you draw me in closer to your kingdom, closer to your glory. Expose me to your word. By the power of your spirit, help me to accept it in every area of my life. I pray that for all of us that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, 
we would be challenged and encouraged in that way. It's not about arriving. It's about constantly pursuing and being pursued. Thank you for empowering us for the walk after Jesus Christ. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.